Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If y'all would pray with me, please. Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. God, that you would overpower me with your mighty power, that you would anoint me with unction for the preaching of your word. God, that that everything that is about to be said would come from you and not from me. God, that you would give me the supernatural ability to communicate your truth to your people. And God, that it would reflect glory on you and not on me. God, make me small and you be great. Make me be quiet that you would be known. Lord, make everything that is about to happen about you and not about me. And Lord, I ask these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, as a pastor, I spend a large part of my time in front of you guys unearthing deeply held secrets from inside my soul. One of the things, you know, we've talked all about the the shameful things in my heart, the fact that I like romantic comedies, right? We know that. The fact that, um, you know, I'm not really that big into sports and don't know much about them. So, like, that's just who I am. Um, You guys know about my time in the military. One of the things that you may not know about me is that I'm kind of a science nerd. Not that I'm good at science, because that requires math, and I'm not good at math. (laughs) But I like reading about science. I like reading about biology and about astronomy. And so one of the things that really fascinates me is astronomy and kind of the study of, like, far-off galaxies. So if you've never had a chance to do it, you can go on, so you guys know what, what Google Maps is, right? There's another program called Google Earth, okay? You can download Google Earth to your computer, and uh, you can, like, scroll around the world, which is pretty cool. But they've got another thing on there where you can turn it around, and you can get images of the sky. And so you can use Google, I think it's called Google Sky. And you can look, like, you can take a piece of sky and like blow it up and then blow it up again and then blow it up again and you can see amazing things right you can look into these nebula that are so far away that the light coming to us is just super old I mean it's amazing some of the things that they have out there that you can see and you know where whereas atheists can look at that and be like oh well obviously God doesn't exist because there's all this magnificence and it you know comes from nowhere we can look at that and say wow Look at all that God has done. Look at at the depth of his amazing nature. The the crazy thing is that these images, they they don't come from like the regular telescope that you buy on Amazon for your kids right before Christmas because you don't know what to get them. You're like, oh, I'll get them a telescope and then I'll be good at math and he will get a degree in history and break my heart, you know? Like, (laughs) it's not like that kind of telescope. These images come come from these massive arrays of antenna 
right? And so it's called radio astronomy. And if you've ever seen it, one of, one of the places that we have in the United States is called the VLA, which stands for the Very Large Aperture Array. It's a super, um, you know, interesting title. And what it just means is what they do is they have 38 miles of railroad tracks and they have these huge, massive parabolic dishes on them. And if you saw them, you'd be like, oh, that's the NSA, and they're listening to my phone calls. And they say they're not, but it, it's supposed to be radio astronomy. So what they do is they put them on these railroad tracks, and they put them in these weird kind of like arrangements, and they're all connected together, and they create a, a telescope with a collector that like they, they synthesize one that's the size of like Washington, D.C. So it's huge. And they can see deep, deep into the universe. And, and, and this is not even the biggest one that they have. There's bigger ones in Europe now. They've got another one that's about to come out, one that's going to be directed solely at what they call SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, right? The, the search for UFOs and life. Hundreds of billions of dollars listening for radio waves from out in the universe. Because as a species, as a people, we are desperate to not be alone. We're desperate to have something else out there. Somebody that will speak to us from out of the darkness to let us know what all of it means. This is the deep echo of our soul. Every culture from every part of the world desperately seeks for something outside of themselves. As Christians, we know that the answers that the world is seeking, who are we, why are we here, are we alone, we know that those answers can be found in God. We, we know that there is a voice from out of the darkness that speaks to us. And our friends will think we're crazy, and that's okay. It won't be the first time or the last time. Because there is a voice that speaks to us, that tells us who we are. And this process of us listening to the voice of God, us speaking to God about the deepest desires of our heart, it's called prayer. That's what prayer is. It's us speaking to God and listening to God. And over the last several weeks, we have been going through a study on prayer, but this hasn't happened in a vacuum. See, as a church, we have decided that we're starting the year off the way we probably should have always been starting the year, by going to the Lord in prayer. And so we've refocused a lot of the things that we do at the church here around prayer. Not the kind of bookmark prayer where it's the way we start a meeting and the way we end a meeting. That's important. And not the kind of prayer where you sit down and you have a meal. We're going to pray there, though that is also important. But deliberate, focused, intense prayer. And so if you come to the church on Tuesday mornings, you'll see members of the church here praying for the church, solely for the church. Nine o'clock this morning, a group of us came together and we just opened our heart up to God. 
So there's some of you in this room this morning who didn't want to be here, and you don't know why you're here, and you're here because God brought you here, and you're welcome. <laughs> you could have been in bed right now. But guess what? Brunch will wait. You can always eat, and uh, whatever football games are going to come on, and I'm not even pretending like I know which ones they are. They'll come on later on today. <laughs> we are a people of prayer, because prayer is where the power of God is manifested. He manifests himself through prayer because he wants the glory. And so as Christians, we are to be a people of prayer. But there's all kind of prayer out there. You can go anywhere around the world and you will find people involved in prayer. Whether you go to India and you watch people meditating for days and days without eating, sitting naked on the ground, cross-legged, and, and meditating in prayer to the oversoul of the universe. That's not what we're talking about. Maybe you could go to a, an Islamic country. When I was in, in, in the service, I was deployed to Iraq, and every morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, we'd wake up to this, this series of different prayer calls that would go out across the city, and all the men would gather together, and they would bow down and pray to Allah. That's not what we're talking about either. See, there's lots of different ways to pray, but Jesus was very specific about what he wanted us to pray and the way that he wanted us to pray. And so over the, the next several weeks, we're going to be taking his model prayer that he gave us, and we're going to be breaking it down, and we're going to be looking at it. So we're going to begin in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Verses 5 through 6. Now, Matthew is, one of the is the first book that we have in our New Testament, right? So this is one of the first books that we have. This is a story of Jesus' life written by one of his close followers. And it's going to talk about some of the things that happened in his life. Our passage this morning comes from a part of the Gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what the Sermon on the Mount was was Jesus' major time of teaching. This was a time that he sat down, it was probably the high point in his ministry when the most people were following him. He hadn't really said enough stuff to really aggravate him and drive him off yet. So he was an amazing guy. He was doing miracles. He was teaching with authority. And so people were looking at him and they were like, these are our real religious leaders. And then there's Jesus. We want to follow this guy. This guy's amazing. And there were whispers, man, he could be the, is he the Messiah? Is he like the guy who's going to come and free us from Rome? I don't know. I'm going to go see this guy. And so if you remember, we went back we, in our study of John. The book of John is all about signs. It's all about the miracles that Jesus did. That's how he, that's how he kind of justifies who he is or describes who he is. In the book of Matthew, it's all about types. And what a type is, is an image from the Old Testament that is reflected in the ministry of Jesus to create a connection, okay? So when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, he goes up on the mountain like Moses went up on the mountain, and he speaks the law to the people the way that Moses spoke the law to the people. You following me? He's a type of Moses, but he's the perfect Moses, he is a prophet, but he's the perfect prophet, okay? And so as he's up there, he's recasting the law to them. And one of the things that he does is he begins to talk about prayer. So this is where we are right now. He's going to start 
by giving his followers clear instructions about how they should pray. In verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I want to draw a couple of things out from this that will help us understand this. The first thing is, when we study Scripture, we look for little structures in there, repeated words, things that happen over and over and over again. Sometimes, as Westerners, we see that, we're like, oh, the Bible's so repetitious, it's boring. It'd be so much easier if it was a podcast. Or better yet, just a reel why can't you say it in a minute and a half? But when Jesus repeats things in this way, it's because there's a structure. So follow the structure. He says, and when you pray, and then later on he says, and when you, but when you pray, and then later on he's going to say, but when you pray, and so that kind of gives us a hint that there's something going on here. What he's doing is he's giving instructions. He says, he starts off by saying, but when you pray, don't do this. When you pray, do this. When you pray, don't do this, but when you pray, do this. So there's kind of a structure there. So the first section is, but when you pray, and he's going to talk about what our hearts should be like. We need to understand there that he's not saying if you pray, right? He's not saying like, hey, you know, I know that prayer is kind of annoying and you don't really have time, you know, like there's not a lot of time in the day to pray and sometimes you forget, but, you know, if you get an opportunity maybe to pray, you could sort of kind of think that maybe this might be a good way to pray. I know that we think sometimes like we don't have time to pray in our life, right? Because we have a lot of stuff going on. But, but I would point out to you that if you're like, oh, it's really hard to pray because, I, man, I'm doing the laundry today. Just remember that he's talking to people that lived in a time that they did their laundry by taking it down to a river and slapping it against a hard rock, okay? So... You have a lot more time in your day to pray than these guys did. And the assumption is that they're going to pray. It says when you pray, assuming that everybody's going to pray all the time. So when you pray, what are you supposed to do? It says, when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. And so what is he, he's trying to get across to them that prayer, that people, when they pray, when Christians pray, that they should not view prayer as a means of impressing the people around them. And we've got to understand that this time, that prayer was an integral part of Jewish life. This was permeated all of Jewish life. There were set times during the day when you needed to pray. They prayed all the time about everything. In fact, one of the major issues for Israel at this time is water. Right? Because they live in a semi-arid environment. If anybody's ever been to Israel or looked at Israel, it's dry there. They have certain growing seasons and the rains have to come or you starve. It's got to rain or the oil can't be made and you don't have any money and your kids get sold off into slavery. So water is a really important deal. It's not that your lawn gets like dry and dead and then you get really upset because your homeowners association get mad at you. Now, this is a survival thing. And so 
the Jews had a very specific way that they would go about praying throughout the year to ensure that water fell from the sky and they could live. And the men that were involved in this prayer could become incredibly important. If you were a strong, effective prayer warrior, you had respect in your community. And so men would seek to be this. They would seek to, to be known as a guy who could, who could pray the rain in. That they could pray with eloquence and force and power. Because it was a way that you could get followers on Instagram. Well, no, they didn't have Instagram back then. But, but whatever the ancient Israeli, Israeli equivalent of Instagram was, that's what they were looking for. And so during those times of the day, when everybody was supposed to stop and pray, they would blow a trumpet. And wherever you were, you were supposed to stop and you were supposed to pray. And there were some guys because we all know who those guys are, that they, they just happened to always be on the corners of the big streets when the trumpet would play. It's weird. It happened that way every day. And they would stand and they would pray with force. And they would pray with eloquence. And the people around them would stop praying and look at them and be like, wow, that dude is amazing. I don't have to pray because he's praying and he is so good. Get on, buddy. Do it. Preach that hot gospel. Get in there. Whoa, what an amazing prayer. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, don't be like that. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that prays to be seen. He calls them hypocrites. Later on, he'll call people like that whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, good looking on the outside, and inside they are filled with death and decay and old bones. See, he wants his disciples not to pray ostentatiously in order to be esteemed by the people around them. He wants them to pray with humility. He wants them to pray with a heart that is focused on the greatness of God. He wants them to talk to God and not to the people around them. See, Christians should be people of prayer, but, we should, but that prayer should be directed towards God and not the people around us. Now, when we read a passage like this, it can be really difficult because we've got so many things that we see in the New Testament. So we have to kind of figure out where the balance is, right? So I want you to understand, Jesus is not saying don't pray corporately. Okay, so some of, one of the things that we can do to kind of figure out how we're supposed to look at this is we need to differentiate between public prayer and corporate prayer, okay? Corporate prayer is when we come together here and we pray with each other. This is powerful. This is meaningful. Okay? This is something that God's people do over and over again in the New Testament. It's something that God's people do over and over again in the Old Testament. That's corporate prayer. Then there's public prayer. And public prayer is a little bit more dangerous. Public prayer is when we leave this building... And you go out on the corner and you grab a bullhorn and you start praying at cars as they go by. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, 
But I'm saying you need to check your heart before you do it. You have to be very careful when you engage in public prayer. We have all kind of instances all the time where we have a guy that gets up. He's like, well, I'm going to pray for the school football team. And I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. If you won't let me pray in Jesus' name, then you're a communist. And you hate Jesus. Well, they may be a communist and they may actually hate Jesus. In fact, they probably are. But we have to be careful about what the condition of our heart is. Are we praying as an act of political speech? Or are we praying as an act of devotion to God? You got to ask that question. Jesus is telling us here that prayer is always and forever about you speaking to God. And if it's not you speaking to God, then it's not prayer. It's public performance art. And this extends even into corporate prayer, right? Because we've all been in prayer meetings where that guy gets up and he preaches a sermon as a prayer. You know that guy? Yeah, some of y'all do. Sometimes it's me. <laughs> if you are praying at somebody, that's not prayer. <laughs> that's a speech. So we have to be very, very careful that when we pray, we are praying to God. Okay? That we are praying from a heart that desires to make God magnified and to understand what God's will is. Jesus is trying to get across to his people that they need to pray from a place of humility. That they need to speak to God and not to the people around them. Then he's going to switch gears here for a second. He's going to say, okay, I've been picking on the Jewish leaders a lot. And he does. He picks on the Jewish leaders all the time. But he's going to, he's going to kind of change over. He's going to say, also, don't pray like the hypocritical Jewish leaders, but also don't pray like the pagans. In verse 7, he says, And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus is telling his disciples not to babble like pagans. Now, what does that mean? Well, in Greek, it, he doesn't say babble. Babel is an English word, and it it's, comes from the Bible, and it's about the Tower of Babel. It has nothing to do with what Jesus is actually saying. He's talking about repeating magical words, like abracadabra, or alabashaz, or uh, you know, one of these words that, that has no meaning, but is supposed to have power behind it. Okay? Now, why would he say that? Because it was integral in ancient pagan religion that you would make these prayers that would use special secret words of power in order to be able to uh, manipulate the gods into doing what you wanted them to do. That was all pagan religion. It was about how do I get what I want from God or the gods? How do I play the gods off against each other? What is the secret magic word? And so in the ancient world, we had scrolls filled with these, these incredibly uh, you know, intricate prayers that had to be say, said in a specific way with a specific cadence in a specific way in order to convince the gods to do something. And if you had those special magic scrolls that could do that, you had a lot of money. In fact, later on, in the letters of Paul, he's going to talk about, I believe it's in Ephesus, where he's going to get a bunch of these guys together. They're going to come to Jesus. They're going to take their incredibly expensive magic scrolls and they're going to burn them. 
And all the essential oils that are locked up in them makes the fire huge. I was kidding, I'm sorry. Essential oils aren't magic. I, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I mean... What Jesus is talking about is he doesn't want his disciples, he doesn't want the Christians or the people that will become Christians to think that this is the way that they're supposed to pray. That somehow if they string the right words together in the right way with the right timing, that they could somehow manipulate God into doing what they want him to do. Because guys, that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not about you getting what you want from God. And I've got to say that to us because we live in a time when we have something that is almost as absurd as these ancient magical prayer languages that they were trying to use. We have what's called the word of faith movement. And that's if I, if I pray in the right way, in the right power, at the right time, that God will give me all the blessings that I want. I want a car, well, I'm going to pray for that car. And my word of truth will make that car come to me because my God wants to bless me. I mean, who doesn't want a really nice car? God wants you to have a really nice car. He's tired of you driving that old Lincoln. Chris, he wants you to have a new car, okay? So if you pray hard enough, you will stop embarrassing your wife by driving that rattle trap around. Except that's not at all what God's priority is. And so anybody that tells you that there's a magical way, that there's a powerful way, that you can manipulate God into giving what you want has no idea what prayer is actually about. Because prayer is not about making your will manifest on earth. It's about you manifesting God's will on earth. It's about you becoming a conduit for God's power and his might in the world that you live in. It's about you stepping into the flow of God's power so that you can bless the people around you, not you harnessing God's power in order to do the things that make you comfortable. Because guys, God doesn't care how comfortable you are. He doesn't. He cares about how useful you are in his kingdom. And so Jesus wants to get across to his disciples that prayer is not about you manipulating God. It's about you opening yourself up to be used by God. And so how does he finish? Well, he tells them, he reminds them that God is willing and able to do these things for them. That God is willing and able to function in their lives. What does he say? Verse 8, he says, And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, God is a good God, and He knows what you need. But what you need is not always what you want. And so he tells them to pray. He's telling them to pray in the, in the confidence and the certainty that their God is a good God who will give them good gifts, the gifts that they need. To pray expectantly. To pray humbly. Because this deals with one of the biggest problems that we all have to deal with in prayer. And that is, what happens if I prayed super hard, if I listened to Jiminy Cricket and I believed with all my heart that I could get it, 
And it didn't happen. Last week, I told you guys, I wanted the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier, the USS Freedom, and I wanted it with every scrap of my small adolescent heart. I wanted it with every bit of who I was. And I was such a good boy. And you know what? God never gave it to me. Because it was bigger than my bed and I didn't need it. Guys, there are some things that you're praying for right now, God's not going to give you. Not because he's a bad God, but because you don't need them. There's some things that you're praying for right now that you want with all your heart that God's not going to give you because they are not in his will. This is what James said. He said, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get for your pleasure. So sometimes prayer goes unanswered because we ask for the wrong things. But other reasons, there's other reasons why we don't get what we're asking for. Sometimes we're asking for the wrong things. Sometimes we're asking at the wrong time. Sometimes we're asking and we're enmeshed in sin. And sometimes that we're praying really hard. We're like, why isn't God listening to my prayer? Why does God not respond to me as you're surfing the internet for pornography? Like, I don't understand why God never answers my prayers. As you're cheating on your taxes, beating your kids, cheating on your wife. Like, guys, God is not going to bless those who are in active rebellion against him. That's not how it works. He doesn't get glorified by blessing those who are in active rebellion against him. So if you are praying with all of your heart for guidance and wisdom or daily bread, and you're like, why isn't this happening? You need to check yourself and see, am I enmeshed in some kind of pernicious sin? Is there something that is stopping this from happening? See, God is a good God and he knows what you need, but yet what you need is not always what you want. And so we have to go to God trusting that he will provide to us the things that we need when we go to him in humility and in righteousness. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants his disciples to know that God covets humble, persistent, and obedient prayer from his people. That's where prayer starts. It doesn't start with the words that we say. Prayer is not about the words that we say. It's about the condition of our heart. That's the big idea here. Prayer is not about, it's, it's not about stringing words together well. It's about the condition of the heart of the person that's praying. Prayer is not about worldly power or manipulation. It's not about magical incantations or ritual. It's about cons a consistent desire to communicate with God. And if there is a secret to prayer, right? If there's something that, like a foolproof, like how do I pray with power? You know what it is? It's deliberate, humble diligence. It's checking the condition of our heart and praying to God with a pure heart. And so, guys, we need to understand that Christians, oh, brothers and sisters, we have to cultivate a spirit of humility and submission 
as we approach the throne of God, as prayer becomes an increasing part of our life as a church, as prayer becomes an increasing part of your life as a Christian, you have to constantly be checking the condition of your heart. Are you coming to him in humility? Are you coming to him to speak to him? Or are you trying to do something else? As prayer becomes more important to us here at this church, it will be tempting to seek out the applause of the people around you by praying well, by praying in a specifically eloquent way, to pray particularly doctrinally thick prayers, to be known as a powerful prayer. I want, you to, I want to caution you against that. But I also want to caution you against thinking that prayers are something that is so complicated and so hard and so easy to mess up that it's just something that you'd rather not do. Guys, my deep prayer for all of you is that all of you will become men and women of deep, persistent, humble prayer. And you know how you get there? By doing it. It's like riding a bicycle. You can't, ride a, you can't learn how to ride a bicycle by opening up a book and reading about how to ride a bicycle. You're like, oh, look, I, I look, I'm reading this, and there's like several different types of bicycles that you can get, and there's different ways that you can ride bicycles. You know, you can, you can get one of those big grandma bicycles that have the basket on the front, you know, and, the, and they have the big handlebars that are out here and their balance is pretty good and I could learn how to do that and I can look at all of the different kinds of bicycles and, and I can see, you know, there's a, you know, you can, you can do trail riding, you can do road riding, you can do street riding, I can get the kind where you have to get it measured. That's not how you learn how to ride a bicycle. You get on a bicycle and you ride it. So if you are not praying right now, I want to encourage you to start praying. We've got all kinds of avenues for you. First thing you can do is by start praying at home. And, and I know that some of us do the whole like, well, I'm going to pray. I pray without ceasing, which means you don't pray. Well, I'm, just, I'm going to pray without ceasing, brother, as I, as I drive along. Well, that's cool. You need to still set aside a time during your day. Either first thing in the morning, last thing before you go to bed, I would caution you if you do it right before you go to bed, you will go to sleep. Find a time during your day, carve it out, make it sacred, and start praying. If all you can do is five minutes, do five minutes. But seek the face of God in prayer. And then seek the face of God with brothers and sisters in Christ. Gather together with two or three other people. And pray. Pray for this church. Pray for the gospel to go out from this place. Pray they'll include me prayer as you walk down the street. Do whatever you have to do to make prayer integral in your life. It's been astonishing to me. As we have made prayer more and more a part of what we're doing here over the last several weeks. We were talking this morning we said, oh, man, have you, have you noticed things have been different? Yeah, man, it feels different. We walk in the place, there's not heaviness. We walk in the place, and, and it's just, everything's going easy. It's going better. Oh, I wonder why that is. Oh, that's right. Because God is doing exactly what he said he would do. 
Brothers and sisters, I promise you, if you will devote yourself to prayer, God will show up. And he will show up in ways that you cannot even imagine. Brothers and sisters, we are a people who are desperately speaking the voice of the eternal God. We're desperately trying to hear something. And if you have come into this place, if you've joined us this morning, and you don't even know why you're here, but you're seeking something, something missing in your life, I want you to know that you're not crazy. There is something missing from your life. Some of you in this room have spent your entire life living separate from the arms of a loving God. And you've tried to build your lives around everything else. Success, booze, money, power, women, men, something. And your life is empty right now. And you're looking for something. I'm telling you right now, the God of the entire universe, the God that made every nebula in the sky is speaking out to you right now and telling you that you can have a relationship with him if you will stop and listen and submit. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. Mike's going to come up here. He's going to put his guitar on. We're going to play a song. I'm going to pray a little bit. This is a time for you to respond to that called space that we've carved out in our worship service so that you can respond to God moving in your life right now. But before you can respond to what God is doing, you have to actually listen to what he's telling you. So we're going to take a couple of minutes right now and we're going to seek to answer this question. God, what do you want me to know? So if you have a piece of paper, if you've got a journal on you, or if you just want to sit there, you want to take a note on your phone, I don't care how you do it. We're going to sit in silence and we're going to pray to God and ask him, God, what do you want me to know? So take a moment right now and ask God to reveal to you what it is that he wants for you.